0: book four section sixty two part two of the world as will and idea volume one by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book four the world as will second aspect the assertion and denial of the will to live when self-consciousness has been attained Section sixty two part two but the conception of right as the negation of wrong finds its principal application and no doubt its origin in cases in which an attempted wrong by violence is warded off this warding off cannot itself be wrong and consequently is right although the violence it requires regarded in itself and in isolation would be wrong and is here only justified by the motive that is becomes right if an individual goes so far in the assertion of his own will that he encroaches upon the assertion of will which is essential to my person as such and denies it then my warding off of that encroachment is only the denial of that denial and thus from my side is nothing more than the assertion of the will which essentially and originally appears in my body and is already implicitly expressed by the mere appearance of this body consequently is not wrong but right that is to say i have then a right to deny that denial of another with the force necessary to overcome it and it is easy to see that this may extend to the killing of the other individual whose encroachment as external violence pressing upon me may be warded off by a somewhat stronger counteraction entirely without wrong consequently with right for all that happens from my side lies always within the sphere of the assertion of will essential to my person as such and already expressed by it which is the scene of the conflict and does not encroach on that of the other consequently is only negation of the negation and thus affirmation not itself negation thus if the will of another denies my will as this appears in my body and the use of its powers for its maintenance without denial of any foreign will which observes a like limitation, I can without wrong compel it to desist from such denial. That is, I have so far a right of compulsion. In all cases in which I have a right of compulsion, a complete right to use violence against another, I may, according to the circumstances, just as well oppose the violence of the other with craft without doing any wrong. And accordingly i have an actual right to lie precisely so far as i have a right of compulsion therefore a man acts with perfect right who assures a highway robber who is searching him that he has nothing more upon him or if a burglar has broken into his house by night induces him by a lie to enter a cellar and then locks him in a man who has been captured and carried off by robbers for example by pirates has the right to kill them not only by violence but also by craft in order to regain his freedom thus also a promise is certainly not binding when it has been extorted by direct bodily violence because he who suffers such compulsion may with full right free himself by killing and a fortiori by deceiving his oppressor whoever cannot recover through force the property which has been stolen from him commits no wrong if he can accomplish it through craft indeed if someone plays with me for money he has stolen from me i have the right to use false dice against him because all that i win from him already belongs to me whoever would deny this must also still more deny the justifiableness of stratagem in war which is just an acted lie and is a proof of the saying of queen christina of sweden the words of men are to be esteemed as nothing scarcely are their deeds to be trusted so sharply does the limit of right border upon that of wrong for the rest i regard it as superfluous to show that all this completely agrees with what was said above about the unlawfulness of the lie and of violence it may also serve to explain the peculiar theory of the lie told under pressure in accordance with what has been said wrong and right are merely moral determinations that is such as are valid with regard to the consideration of human action as such and in relation to the inner significance of this action in itself this asserts itself directly in consciousness through the fact that the doing of wrong is accompanied by an inward pain which is the merely felt consciousness of the wrongdoer of the excessive strength of the assertion of will in itself which extends even to the denial of the manifestation of the will of another and also the consciousness that although he is different from the person suffering wrong as far as the manifestation is concerned yet in himself he is identical with him the further explanation of this inner significance of all pain of conscience cannot be given till later he who suffers wrong is on the other hand painfully conscious of the denial of his will as it is expressed through the body and its natural requirements for the satisfaction of which nature refers him to the powers of his body and at the same time he is conscious that without doing wrong he might ward off that denial by every means unless he lacks the power this purely moral significance is the only one which right and wrong have for men as men not as members of the state and which consequently remains even when man is in a state of nature without any positive law it constitutes the basis and the content of all that has on this account been named natural law though it is better called moral law for its validity does not extend to suffering to the external reality but only to the action of man and the self-knowledge of his individual will which grows up in him from his action and which is called conscience it cannot however in a state of nature assert itself in all cases and outwardly upon other individuals and prevent might from reigning instead of right in a state of nature it depends upon every one merely to see that in every case he does no wrong but by no means to see that in every case he suffers no wrong for this depends on the accident of his outward power therefore the concepts right and wrong even in a state of nature are certainly valid and by no means conventional but there they are valid merely as moral concepts for the self-knowledge of one's own will in each they are a fixed point in the scale of the very different degrees of strength with which the will to live asserts itself in human individuals, like the freezing point on the thermometer, the point at which the assertion of one's own will becomes the denial of the will of another, that is, specifies through wrongdoing the degree of its intensity, combined with the degree in which knowledge is involved in the principium individuationis, which is the form of all knowledge that is subject to the will but whoever wants to set aside the purely moral consideration of human action or denies it and wishes to regard conduct merely in its outward effects and their consequences may certainly with hobbes explain right and wrong as conventional definitions arbitrarily assumed and therefore not existing outside positive law and we can never show him through external experience what does not belong to such experience hobbes himself characterises his completely empirical method of thought very remarkably by the fact that in his book de principiis Geometrarum he denies all pure mathematics properly so called and obstinately maintains that the point has extension and the line has breadth and we can never show him a point without extension or a line without breadth thus we can just as little impart to him the a priori nature of mathematics as the a priori nature of right because he shuts himself out from all knowledge which is not empirical the pure doctrine of right is thus a chapter of ethics and is directly related only to action not to suffering for only the former is the expression of will and this alone is considered by ethics suffering is mere occurrence ethics can only have regard to suffering indirectly merely to show that what takes place merely to avoid suffering wrong is itself no infliction of wrong the working out of this chapter of ethics would contain the precise definition of the limits to which an individual may go in the assertion of the will already objectified in his body without denying the same will as it appears in another individual and also the actions which transgress these limits which consequently are wrong and therefore in their turn may be warded off without wrong thus our own action always remains the point of view of the investigation but the suffering of wrong appears as an event in outward experience and in it is manifested as we have said more distinctly than anywhere else the phenomenon of the conflict of the will to live with itself arising from the multiplicity of individuals and from egoism both of which are conditioned through the principium individuationis which is the form of the world as idea for the knowledge of the individual we also saw above that a very large part of the suffering essential to human life has its perennial source in that conflict of individuals the reason however which is common to all these individuals and which enables them to know not merely the particular case as the brutes do but also the whole abstractly in its connection has also taught them to discern the source of that suffering and induced them to consider the means of diminishing it or when possible of suppressing it by a common sacrifice which is however more than counterbalanced by the common advantage that proceeds from it however agreeable it is to the egoism of the individual to inflict wrong in particular cases this has yet a necessary correlative in the suffering of wrong of another individual to whom it is a great pain and because the reason which surveys the whole left the one-sided point of view of the individual to which it belongs and freed itself for the moment from its dependence upon it it saw the pleasure of an individual in inflicting wrong always outweighed by the relatively greater pain of the other who suffered the wrong and it found further that because here everything was left to chance everyone had to fear that the pleasure of conveniently inflicting wrong would far more rarely fall to his lot than the pain of enduring it from this reason recognized that both in order to diminish the suffering which is everywhere disseminated and as far as possible to divide it equally the best and only means was to spare all the pain of suffering wrong by renouncing all the pleasure to be obtained by inflicting it this means is the contract of the state or law it is easily conceived and little by little carried out by the egoism which through the use of reason proceeds methodically and forsakes its one-sided point of view this origin of the state and of law i have indicated was already exhibited as such by plato in the republic in fact it is the essential and only origin determined by the nature of the matter moreover in no land can the state have ever had a different origin because it is just this mode of originating the same that makes it a state it is a matter of indifference whether in each particular nation the condition which preceded it was that of a horde of savages independent of each other anarchy or that of a horde of slaves ruled at will by the stronger despotism in both cases there existed as yet no state it first arose through that common agreement and according as that agreement is more or less free from anarchy or despotism the state is more or less perfect republics tend to anarchy monarchies to despotism and the mean of constitutional monarchy which was therefore devised tends to government by factions in order to found a perfect state we must begin by providing beings whose nature allows them always to sacrifice their own to the public good till then however something may be attained through the existence of one family whose good is quite inseparable from that of the country so that at least in matters of importance it can never advance the one without the other on this rests the power and the advantage of the hereditary monarchy now as ethics was concerned exclusively with right and wrong-doing and could accurately point out the limits of his action to whoever was resolved to do no wrong politics on the contrary the theory of legislation is exclusively concerned with the suffering of wrong and would never trouble itself with wrongdoing at all if it were not on account of its ever necessary correlative the suffering of wrong which it always keeps in view as the enemy it opposes indeed if it were possible to conceive an infliction of wrong with which no suffering of wrong on the part of another was connected the state would consistently by no means prohibit it and because in ethics the will the disposition is the object of consideration and the only real thing the firm will to do wrong which is only restrained and rendered ineffective by external might and the actually committed wrong are to it quite the same and it condemns him who so wills as unjust at its tribunal on the other hand will and disposition merely as such do not concern the state at all but only the deed whether it is merely attempted or carried out on account of its correlative the suffering on the part of another thus for the state the deed the event is the only real the disposition the intention is only investigated so far as the significance of the deed becomes known through it therefore the state will forbid no one to carry about in his thought murder and poison against another so long as it knows certainly that the fear of the sword and the wheel will always restrain the effects of that will the state has also by no means to eradicate the foolish purpose the inclination to wrong-doing the wicked disposition but merely always to place beside every possible motive for doing a wrong a more powerful motive for leaving it undone in the inevitable punishment that will ensue therefore the criminal code is as complete a register as possible of motives against every criminal action that can possibly be imagined both in abstracto in order to make any case that occurs in application in concreto politics or legislation will therefore for this end borrow from that chapter of ethics which is the doctrine of right and which besides the inner significance of right and wrong determines the exact limits between them yet it will only do so for the purpose of making use of its reverse side and regarding all the limits which ethics lays down as not to be transgressed if we are to avoid doing wrong from the other side as the limits which we must not allow others to transgress if we do not wish to suffer wrong and from which we have therefore a right to drive others back therefore these limits are as much as possible from the passive side barricaded by laws End of section 62, part 2, recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.